Welcome back to the Being Whole podcast. Today's episode is a bit different because I've been knocked down with COVID the past week. I didn't want to miss an episode with you. And because so many of you are curious about how I lead different things in my classroom, I invite you to enjoy a throwback lecture today. I believe there are a lot of great points to be digested and I'm excited to hear your takeaways. So let's dive into today's episode. In chapter nine, we talk about communicating conflict. And so first, before we begin, it's really important that we talk about what conflict is. And so when we think about defining conflict, it's, it's really typical that people think about conflict and they're like, oh, I hate fighting. And so that's the first step I could recommend to you is to get that out of your vocabulary and kind of out of your mind that things are constantly gonna be fighting when we think about conflict. But I will also say, if you're in a lot of relationships where you feel like you cannot have healthy conflict and it does feel very much like fighting, then it might be also time to look at those relationships and see why you think it could be that that's, you know, those are the feelings that it, it evokes for you. So we're going to go through defining conflict and what it means. So first of all, interaction. Conflicts are created and sustained through our communication. There's no other way around it, right? You're either communicating with somebody verbally or non-verbally when you're in a conflict with them. And a lot of times our, our perceptions and our selective perceptions are a dynamic in conflict interactions. We actually aren't seeing what other people are seeing, right? We know that our perceptions differ. And a lot of times when we're in a conflict with somebody, we pick up on certain verbal cues or characteristics or examples or what have you. And then those become our focus in a conflict, but it might not match up with what somebody else's focus is. Interdependence is a key component of conflict because people who are involved in a conflict are in some kind of relationship with one another that, a lot, that requires this reliance on one another. If it didn't, there wouldn't be a conflict. It wouldn't be necessary to engage in conflict because you would be separate from the person and be able to walk away and it would not be impacting you or your relationship. So most of the time people rank conflict with others as one of the critical stressors that they have in their life. Even um, in the most healthy relationships, it is, it's, it's normal if, that people don't like it. And so I don't want you to think like, oh, if I don't like conflict, then that means that's a bad person for me. That's not what I'm saying at all. It's more just a matter of recognizing the ways that you feel about conflict, recognizing some of the patterns that you bring as a result of those feelings and trying to work through um, your interdependence with your relational partners. So as I already said, and will continue to say, perception, perception, perception. People's perception is their reality. And you can't argue with somebody else's reality, right? It might not match yours, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're wrong all the time either. So perception is the psychological process of sense making. We are trying to make sense of what's going on in relationship to another person. And then hopefully we also try to make sense of what their perceptions are. And so when we talk about communication competency, we're also talking about, you know, how the better you are and the more skilled you are at communicating, typically you're better able to recognize other people's perceptions as well or to adapt in your perceptual thinking. So 
a key component of conflict is that we have inter incompatible goals, okay? So a lot of times that, that reaction that we feel with another person when we're in conflict is because their goals differ from what we want. And so sometimes when we look at other people, we see them as standing in the way of us achieving our goal, or they're, you know, they're, they're not helping us along the way or what have you. And so really, if the root of all conflict, if you can start to kind of step back from it a little bit when you're in it sometimes and really just get to the the problem part okay what are we trying to solve right now what what are what are the goals that we both have for these kinds of arguments what are the goals we have for our relationship unfortunately we're not really taught to talk about conflict that way we kind of get into it and forget what the whole point of it is sometimes so there's a lot of myths going around about conflict in general um, Conflict is not simply just a miscommunication. Like a lot of people want to say that, like that's the root of all conflict. It, it goes back to, like I say, those incompatible goals and, and just the perceptions too. Unfortunately, not all conflict can be resolved through good communication. I can tell you over and over and over all the things you're supposed to do. I know the things I'm supposed to do. It doesn't always work, right? And not all conflict is something that's solvable. Sometimes relationships break. Sometimes situations cannot be fixed just because you did everything you were supposed to do. So the research also shows um, that contrary to popular belief, it's, it's not necessarily always best to talk through every conflict. And that's something that a lot of people are surprised, you know, they're like, you're a communication studies professor, what do you mean we shouldn't talk about it? And I'm not saying that we shouldn't talk through conflict, but, but you also, again, back to the goals, back to what are, what are we in this conflict for? What is our relational history? What is our relationship? What are we trying to establish going forward? And what, what is the helpfulness of talking through the conflict? And those are some pretty individualized answers too that you and your relational partner really have to work through. And so this is where I encourage you in all of your relationships to you know recognize again your triggers with conflict if you have recurring patterns, but then also try not to bring the baggage from other relationships into you know your future relationships or even you know if you say you have one conflict style with one friend you know is that really about that conflict or is it about that friend before you go over into the next conflict and and carry over some of that baggage i guess it's just important again to try to really start to separate these things out for yourself and just see if you have preferences and if you do i'm not telling you like you have to change everything sometimes it's less about the changing and more about the awareness of the patterns so I already talked through a lot of these, so I'm just going to flip through the slides um, very quickly, but it is possible to communicate perfectly clear with others, but still disagree. Okay, I get into that one a lot online, uh, that sometimes I am clear and I'm kind and I am articulate, and they are as well, but we just, nope, can't. And that's okay. It's okay to admit to yourself that sometimes you can you can be kind and clear and articulate and compassionate and be all the things, but you still don't fundamentally agree with somebody. So again, as I said, some conflict persists and sometimes you might have to just disagree about things and agree to disagree about things. This is something we see a lot in a political climate, honestly, and we're, we're gearing up here with um, uh, with politics more and more all of the time in a lot of contexts. And this is something where 
there might be people in your life, relational partners, family members, friends, romantic partners, where maybe there's some issues that you don't agree upon and you have to find a way to peacefully get to a place where you can acknowledge one another's opinions without devolving into, into a horrible conflict every time and coexist in some areas. It's also, again, as I said, there may be benefits to avoiding either certain topics or avoiding talking about them in great detail. And sometimes this, again, you, the more you get to know a relational partner, sometimes you'll know some of the things that, that you don't feel comfortable talking about or some areas that are not something that you can go into depth with them about. And so, or maybe there's something that's just too raw or too emotional for you to really have a beneficial conversation about it. So it's always best to really assess each situation and not use these blanket myths. So we have a lot of different types of conflicts as well that I would like to go through with you. So image conflicts, this is um, a difference in how we view our issues of self-image. So sometimes it goes around other types of conflict or it's talked about other types of conflict, but this is really something where when we are having these differences, Sometimes it's about public issues that are issues outside of the relationship. Sometimes it's about private issues that relate more closely to the relationship. But these are often called substantive um, conflicts because they often, like, they're about a specific issue, but about the overall whole substance of it. So these, these are, are typical a lot. And the reason, like, bullet point number two out says may masquerade as another type of conflict. Sometimes we have these conflicts about these really big, important things within or within our relationships, but we don't know how to articulate that or identify it. So sometimes we'll have all these other little conflicts that seem to stem off of it until we really can get to the root of what's, what's truly at, um, at the issue. So value conflicts, again, we see this quite frequently, um, especially when you maybe are getting serious in a romantic relationship and getting to know if somebody aligns with your values, okay? So I see this as relationships progress from maybe a serious, you know, or casual dating relationship and people are getting more serious and thinking about their futures together, then they start to maybe have some more of these conversations, even about, you know, this, the stereotypical ones, but very real conversations about, you know, if they have children, how will you raise your children, and about religiosity and about family even, you know, do you agree on the role, you know, extended family should play? So a lot of those conflicts deal with people's personal values and how they were raised or how they want their families and how they want their relationships. So it's not always when it says on there, I just, I'm giving that example, it's not always right or wrong in terms of, you know, fundamental beliefs. Sometimes it's more about your core principles and what you desire as well. And so um, along with that relational issues, okay, so conflicts between about the relationship between two people, are you happy with things? And if not, can you articulate why? And do you talk about that? And again, recognizing that you're not always going to be on the same page. And sometimes you do have to bring up things that may then cause a conflict depending on your relationship. And then, of course, nobody's favorite, <laughs> meta-conflict, which is conflict about how you fight, right? It's fighting about how you fight. Like, you always do this, or you always do this, or your tone, or this. And we start to pick apart the ways people are doing it instead of recognizing what we're supposed to be you know, talking about. So that's why it's also helpful. We don't do this either. But it's also helpful even if you have some ground rules for a conflict, okay? 
So when we fight, just so you know, I don't like name calling and I won't tolerate raised voices or whatever it is for you. Because otherwise, if you don't kind of articulate or know those things, then when you get in the conflict, you if that's a trigger for you, you will focus on that as opposed to resolving the issue. And rightfully so, right? When we're triggered, it's hard to focus on anything else. Serial conflicts. Ugh. This refers to just the time frame. It's they recur over time in people's everyday lives, often without resolution. So maybe you've been in relationships where it feels like you're fighting about the same thing all the time. That's a serial conflict, okay? And sometimes, sometimes it's the littlest things. You know, I hear a lot since I I teach so much at college. I hear a lot about roommates, and so that's one of the things too is like constantly having roommate issues or fighting about the dishes or the cleanliness of the apartment or having people over or whatever it is. And or maybe you can think back to conflicts that you've had as well. And sometimes it just seems like you're not resolving the real issue. And and it might be because there's a different real issue. Okay. So maybe you're not really mad about the dishes, but maybe you're really mad about the fact that you feel disrespected because the dishes weren't done. You know, so it's interesting. And of course I say all this because it's really easy for me to recognize what's happening in other people's conflicts. It's a lot different when I'm looking at my own, right? So that's the other piece of all of this is just really trying to um, figure out where, where your own issues are too. So other things that impact, uh, you know, our definition of conflict is we also have to look at gender and sex and culture. I say that in every chapter because it, it's true. We can't, we need to get to a place where we recognize all of the things that we bring to conflict. And we've all had different upbringings. We've had different experiences in our families. We, some of us haven't even grown up in the same areas and just even the expectations that we have for gender and sex in our culture can can really change the ways that we enter into a conflict as well. So men and women a lot of times are taught differently in terms of how they can do conflict. There's a lot of power imbalance typically. And so we get into this place where we need to recognize if we're in a collaborative environment versus a competitive um, environment. You know, do you get to actually be seen and heard? Are your are your values represented? Are you able to articulate when something is bothering you? Those kinds of things versus a competition where, you know, we feel like it's, we're constantly trying to one up one another. Somebody's trying to win the argument. There's very big differences there. Intersectionality, if that's not a concept that you've heard of before, intersectionality is a very, very important term. It's uh, Kimberly Crenshaw has a wonderful TEDx talk, or excuse me, TED talk on intersectionality. And the way you can think about it, just in a very basic nutshell, is about the the ways that your identity has multiple facets to it. Okay, so when we think about conflict is that people have different pieces of their identity that they're going to bring to any one conflict and not everybody has the same you know, not everybody has the same style, not everybody has the same situation. And so intersectionality in terms of just the identity issue would be that we can't separate out one piece of person's, one person's part of their identity. So if you are a female who is black, you have different situations that have brought you to this point most likely than a female who is white. Okay, when I say different situations, think about the different ways that systemically in our society, I mean, I hopefully right now you are paying attention and seeing some of the things that is going on in the world, but those issues and things aren't new. We've had embedded systems. And so, for example, I bring that up when a white female gets angry, 
she might be called a bitch. She might be said she's too aggressive, but she's not going to be called an angry white bitch. Whereas a black woman, there is a high potential if she gets angry, she's going to be seen as more aggressive. It's not going to be called assertive. And if she's not smiling all the time, people are going to say she's got RBF. And black women are more likely to get pegged as that the angry black female phenomenon, that stereotype. And so this is important, really, a really important piece um, that I make sure I talk about, not just in, I teach gender class, so we go over it a lot in there, but not, it's not just a concept for gender. The idea of intersectionality um, it is so important to recognize because, again, we all bring so many different things to each individual interaction. And sometimes we do a very big disservice by pretending that everyone is, you know, coming from it at the same place or has had the same experiences. So I could do, and I do do a whole lecture on intersectionality um, because it is an incredibly important concept for us to learn. Hey, because boundaries are such a foundational key to what I help clients with, I have an awesome resource for you to practice strengthening your boundaries. You can grab your guide with 30 ways to say no without guilt via the link down below this episode in the show notes. I provide real life scripts that don't feel icky as you navigate saying no to something. After you grab your download, be sure to come back here and rate the episode. So other factors, again, just different practices put us in conflict with one another. Sometimes we have opposing values or sometimes we just do not fundamentally agree with the ways somebody else is approaching something. And even the word conflict, I mean, think about how conflict sounds different than fighting, right? And think about different areas of the world where sometimes when I say conflict, I, I always mean you know, verbal conflict. Other, other areas, when somebody hears the word conflict, they're thinking about war, right? Physical out there in the world war, killing each other. So there's just a lot to even consider when we're thinking about what conflict means to people. So overall, our culture influences our conduct, right? So I'm gonna talk you through some of these um, patterns here as we go through. And so when we look at symmetrical escalation, what this is is when each partner chooses to increase the intensity of the conflict. So this is kind of where like matching each other, right? So if I raise my voice, you raise your voice. If I start to withdraw, you start to withdraw. But so we're, we're symmetrical, we're following along the same trajectory of that escalation, right? Sometimes, so it's considered a fight, fight. Like you go in, I'm gonna go in. You go in, I'm gonna go in. And, and depending on, on who you are and what the conflict's about, there are still ways you can resolve that. But most of the time it's hard because you just keep getting more and more heated. And then a lot of times it's harder to be rational in those situations. Uh, another type here is symmetrical withdrawal. So this is when, when conflict occurs when neither partner is willing to confront one another. Okay, so think about what that looks like. You know, maybe you are not at all willing to talk about it. You're not at, at all willing to get into it and neither is the other person, but something's bothering you. So is it gonna go away? Most often not, you know, so it, this can be a dangerous pattern to get into too because it feels very stagnant. A pursuit withdrawal or a withdrawal of pursuit is this is where, again, one partner um, wants discussion about the conflict and the other one withdraws. So it depends on, on why a person is withdrawing. And this is what's also important to consider. If somebody's withdrawing, but they say to you, I can't talk to you about this right now because I'm upset and I need to process or I need to think through what I'm feeling or I just don't know that I have the energy or whatever. 
that's different than stonewalling and completely shutting down. And so it's also important, you know, whenever you look at these words, ask yourself what it means and, and if, if that's really what you're dealing with. Withdrawal pursuit, again, is that one is where somebody withdraws and then that causes the other person to come after them. And some people do this as a form of manipulation, right? Like, oh, I'm just going to retreat. And if he doesn't come after me, she doesn't come after me, then they don't really care about me. So this is where conflict isn't always, you know, just about the issue either. Sometimes there's underlying relational things that will come out. Okay. So when we also look at parent-child conflicts and we look at the ways that parents display conflict to their children, we look at the, the conflict style that's modeled. There's a lot that goes into family communication and conflict, but it's also when you think about the styles that were displayed to you and think about power differentials. And so sometimes the ways that we are, conflict is displayed in our home goes along with what our comfort style or comfort is with conflict as an adult too. And so also, you know, thinking about just family types and everything, I know we'll get into this in later chapters, but in some families, children are allowed to, to speak and are allowed to have opinions and thoughts about, you know, if there's a conflict in other families, children are not allowed to, it's not in a negotiation, it's not a collaboration. And sometimes in the same family, both of those things could be true, depending on the situation. So it's really just more of a, a pattern to start recognizing and seeing if any of that is coming up for you when you're in a conflict. So symmetrical negotiation is when each partner mirrors the other's negotiation behaviors, okay? Picking up on the cues, recognizing the ways that another person is trying to negotiate and negotiate in conflict, finding commonality, okay? Um, the conflict styles, probably you've heard about a lot of these before. You can take, there's several conflict styles quizzes you can take, but these are the habitual ways that we deal with conflict. Typically, we have a go-to, right? Um, we may utilize one more than the other. We might utilize some in certain situations, but typically everybody's got a comfort one. So um, the five styles are competing, accommodating, collaborating, compromising, and avoiding. So as we said, competing is where we have high self-concern for ourselves, low self-concern for another. Accommodating is where we have high concern for somebody else, but low concern for ourselves. Collaborating would be where it's concern for high concern for both of us. Compromising would be where it's a style where it's like moderate concern for you and moderate concern for myself. And then avoiding is a lack of concern for it, you know, lack of concern for self and for other. So if you look at it that way, it's like, it makes sense, right? So if I'm a competing person, and if that's my conflict style, that means I want to be right, kind of. And so my concern for myself is high and my concern for you is low because I'm like, no, I'm right on this. I'm going to tell you why. And so that's much different, right, than somebody who's in a compromising position or compromising conflict style where they, they're so not, they're, their concern for themselves is low. So they're just going to do whatever that you say and compromise so that, um, or excuse me, if moderate, like if, if I'm compromising, then I'm like not so invested in what I think as much as I am about also being concerned to what you're invested in. Sorry, I kind of skipped around. I would have, um, if I were in a accommodating style is what I meant to say is if I have no concern for myself but I have a lot of concern for you so a lot of times this is where you hear things like people are like oh they just roll over or they they don't stand up for themselves like people get down on accommodators a lot because it does um, over time 
what can happen if you have an accommodating complex style is you might start to feel like your needs are not being met because you're not um, presenting your own self as a concern in the conflict. So again, these are all things to think about too, and you might start to notice different people and different patterns that they have. So uh, there are also emotional aspects to consider and other things going on whenever we have a conflict, of course. So when we think about the ways like the emotion, this style is where we rely on people's emotional responses to deal with conflict. And so this is something where maybe, you know, and depending on the situation too, maybe that you are trying to just really pay attention and have care and concern for somebody else's emotional style and your own emotions. And so then maybe there's a point in time where you stop the conflict or you agree to table it or you're going to come back to it because you recognize that it's being it's getting too intense or whatever it is but maybe we will resolve the conflict for right now because we know it's too intense to go forward neglect would be a coping response that's considered passive aggressive this is where um you know we're not really putting care and concern into the relationship we're going to make little digs so that we're known, but it's not really a, a, a place where we're trying to advance the conversation. It's not something where we're trying to actually resolve anything. The third party style is where we ask for outside help. Okay, sometimes this might be in forms of a friend. Hey, you know, who do you think is right here? What do you agree with? Or we'll go tell our friends our side of the story or whatever. That's a little different in terms of telling somebody your side of the story is not the same as calling in a third party. Okay, think about it. it. Might also be a counselor or a therapist or something like that. And this is something too I want to state is that I am a firm believer in therapy and counseling. And I think very often we've gotten better. It's not quite as stigmatized as it used to be, but it, it still, you know, has some issues for people. But it's one of those things where very often there are patterns and triggers and things present in our relationships that it's hard for us to make sense of on our own. And so that's where if you can have access to a therapist or a counselor to talk through some things sometimes who can truly give a neutral ear, that's helpful. However, I know that's difficult because a lot of times finance dictates people's ability to even go that route. Another thing in terms of like romantic relationships, a lot of times people are hesitant to call in a third party because they think it signifies a failure in some part or they think like, oh, well, we're not on the verge of divorce, we're not breaking up, so we don't need to go that route. Okay, I would argue that's exactly the reason to go, is because you don't want to be in that on that route, you don't wanna be on that path. And so sometimes it's kind of, if we can do more preventative care in the upfront, just like we should do for our physical health, we need to do preventative care for our mental health, preventative care for our relational health. So um, sometimes it's just also good to recognize, you know, okay, maybe this feels uncomfortable right now, but can we get bring in some help so we can resolve it so it doesn't get worse going forward? So destructive aspects, obviously uh, there are huge numbers of ways that this can go awry, right? Um, not just in terms of the words that we say, but unfortunately we all know how violence can come into a play when we think about conflict. And so bullying is, this is where a bully seeks to inflict intentional harm through repeated unwarranted actions, okay? So this is where it might be focusing on a group, it might be focusing on an individual, but this is again, so it's the in, in, intent to inflict harm through repeated unwanted actions. And so this cuts across things. A lot of times people just think about bullying in friendships, but there's bullying in the workplace, there's bullying in families, it's really in any relationship. 
And especially if you are in a position where you don't feel you have a lot of power, you might be subjected to these kinds of behaviors. And violence and aggression, um, unfortunately, I am here to tell you that violence in interpersonal relationships in the United States is incredibly common. Emotional violence, physical violence, uh, they are common between couples and they often begin early. We have historically done a big disservice to our population by not speaking about this. We don't talk about it soon enough with children. So I can tell you that already now, like it's not uncommon to see kids in late elementary school and middle school who are already displaying signs of, of really negative um, relationship habits in terms of control and violence because they mistake the idea that control equals love. Oh, so and so, they just, they love me so much. That's why they care about where I am all the time. That's why they don't want me to talk to this other person. That's why they're always checking where I'm at on Snap Map or whatever. And it sounds, maybe sounds silly to you to hear that as an adult, but you think back to the mind where you were at, you know, say you're in sixth grade and your friends feel like they're everything to you, right? Or if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever it is. And so it, it's really kind of, I'm off on a tangent here, but it's just so important that we have these conversations with kids because the healthier habits that you can begin in your relationships at a younger age, you're just setting yourself up for so, you know, a healthier time for yourself because then you don't have to kind of unlearn and undo a lot of negative things. So if you are in a situation where you feel like you are scared about violence, um, first of all, it, it is hard in our society because a lot of times people don't report, they don't know who to call or they feel like they don't want the relationship to end or it's gonna get better. And so we often get stuck in a cycle of violence. Violence is also difficult because historically we have seen it as a family problem. So people have been hesitant to speak out on it. You know, so if I think something's going on in your home, but that's in your home. So I'm not gonna ask you unless you come and tell me. And so you can see where that causes problems too. And maybe you've been in that situation where you really wanted somebody to step in or say something. And so it's just really, it, it's an important piece of, of information that we need to talk about more than what we do right now. So I said a lot of this already, I'm gonna flip through these again. I kind of sometimes forget to flip the slides, but that everything I said goes along with these two slides. So um, other things when we think about, you know, moving on to some of the constructive aspects is this is the constructive aspects of it is it allows us to get some of our feelings out in the open. Okay, let's talk about this. Let's process it. Let's get through it. Let's promote feelings of that we're having that genuine connection and having that contact. It can increase intimacy. Think about times when you maybe have had an issue and you've talked to a relational partner and you really felt like you heard each other and you saw each other and that you came to an understanding. That feels good, right? It feels nice to feel seen and heard. And also, if we can get to a point where we can resolve a conflict, it helps us make better decisions. And, and sometimes too, it can help us get out of that negative pattern or those negative habits that all relationships fall into at some level. So there are different interaction um, ratios. So a positive interaction ratio means that more nice things are said than negative things. A negative interaction ratio means that more negative things are said than positive things. So John Gottman has a magic ratio and he says it's five to one. 
positive to negative. So if you're not familiar with John Gottman, he's one of my personal heroes. He studies on uh, relationships and conflict and relational repair and so many things I could go on and on. And so he, he presents a lot of predictors for divorce and for conflict and teaches us ways to have healthier relationships and puts a lot of good stuff out on Instagram for those of you who are on Instagram. So five to one positive to negative. So for every five positive things you say, there can be one negative thing in there. If you start to take stock of your relationships, most of us don't have that ratio, especially if you're kind of irritated with somebody you notice. And I like to use this one on my son because sometimes he gets in this habit or, you know, he'll tell me like, oh, I don't like this or I don't like that. And I'll be like, okay, now you need to say five nice things. And I'm kind of joking with him when I say that, because that's not really how the formula works either. You can't just be like, say one mean thing and then say five nice things to like make up for it. It, it has to come from a genuine place of that's the way that you're interacting and talking with your partner. So explaining conflict, we have a lot of ways we can look at conflict and I'm just gonna flip ahead to this model here as I explain it. So hopefully you can see here at the top where it says distal conflict. It, that's where it's the, the background that frames the conflict. So it says here, we fight a lot, but we always make up. So if you go into a conflict with that aspect in mind, then you have a different mindset than somebody who might think we always fight and it ends badly. So your mindset going into the conflict, right? Proximal content, a context that's where those rules and emotions and beliefs for conflict so like i said earlier do you have some rules and some ground rules okay so for me it really is i grew up in a household where there was a lot of yelling yelling is a huge trigger for me and so if you yell at me i instantly will shut down and so that's something i have to be clear about with my relational partners because sometimes people yell not out of yelling at somebody for anger or to be mean, but they don't, they aren't always aware of how their voice rises. And so I have to be clear with my relational partners, like, look, once the voice starts rising, I take it as yelling and I have a hard time. So again, just kind of recognizing some of those things. Okay, then the actual conflict interaction, what are you actually saying to each other in the conflict? And that can either go to outcomes, which are proximal outcomes. So those immediate results, like, okay, I feel better now that I said it, or the distal outcomes, which are the long-term results. Like, okay, now we both feel better about this situation and how we're gonna handle conflict in the future. So that's the explanatory process model. Makes sense, right? It's explaining the process. So um, the relationship of conflict to power, as you all know, I'm sure power is the ability to control the behavior of another, and this influences the outcome as well as the process. Sometimes you might be doing everything you can, everything in your power to have a healthy conflict, to follow a certain style, to really be present, to you know acknowledge the other person. But if they are in a position of power over you, that may not matter, right? Or, or you may have to change how you even want to talk about the conflict because perhaps you are concerned for about loss of your job or loss of your status or what have you. So people use power in many different ways. A direct application of power, this is where somebody uses any resources at their disposal to try to get the other person to comply no matter what they have, like no matter what their feelings, okay? So um, this, again, using any resources I have to get you to change your mind. And so this is where sometimes it's money in terms of that, when you think about payouts and such. Direct and virtual use, this is um, where you're communicating the potential act of a direct application, okay? An indirect application of power, this would be where you're employing power without making it explicit, okay? So kind of that 
undercurrent, that underlying relational message of defining the relationship, or um, again, that kind of, you're not making it explicit. Then we have the hidden use of power, which is getting people to follow along with what you want without actually saying anything. And you can think about maybe some different places where you've seen some of these in action and how some of those undercurrents of power are almost harder to articulate or talk about than the, the, than the obvious ones, right? Like if you're at work and you're in a conflict with your boss, it's pretty clear probably that your boss has greater power over you. But think about in some of your friendships or, and not even your family relationships, because usually there's a power hierarchy there too, right? Parents, children, that kind of stuff. Think about relationships that are on a more even playing field, such as your friendships and hopefully your romantic relationships. And think about those subtle ways that people use power. I mean, some of it, sometimes people will withdraw or withhold information, withhold sex, withhold um, physical affection, withhold emotional intimacy as power plays, right? And so unfortunately, we have to also be concerned about and conscious of the ways power plays a role in our conflicts. Sex differences, again, um, still stereoty um, stereotypical that uh, women tend to have less power in decision-making than husbands. When we look at the U.S., when we look at heterosexual married couples, that's the, that's the stereotype. And it, it's interesting because the research kind of goes back and forth on a lot of this, honestly, but it's possible that men and women over time do tend to mirror one's communication of power. And the other thing I always have to talk about when we talk about power in relationships is so much of, of you know, in conflict too, you know, is what is your level of comfort and what do you accept and what is what is what you want in your relationship. And so this is something where, you know, if you prefer to be submissive to your relational partner and you want them to handle the decision making, but that's of your free choice and that's how you want your relationship to look, then I don't get to come in here and tell you you're wrong for that, okay? As long as it's happy and healthy and all of the things. And so this is where sometimes too, it's recognizing what you want from your relationships and does your relational partner want the same thing? And are you on the same page regardless of what anyone else says about it? And so uh, again, there's a lot of things we can unpack here. Um, uh, talking about just ways that we can improve, um, lightening up and reframing. This is where can you stay cool headed when other people are escalating? And this is hard, right? Especially if you're a little fired up and you wanna match them. But what we typically see is if somebody is really escalating, um, especially heightened emotions, remember those physical responses that we talked about, it's rarely healthy to match that. But you have to be careful when you keep a level headed, level even keel too, because your tone matters so much. Because if you're, you know, if somebody's escalating and they're way up, way, way up here and you're like, oh yeah, okay, whatever. Or I'm just not going to, I'm just not going to rise to your level. Or I'm not going to do what you're doing. Okay. Well then you're just sounding kind of like you're, you're being combative. You might not be rising up there, but you're still being combative. So watching your tone also and keeping your nonverbal communication genuine, you know, trying to be aware of your posture. If you're, you know, a lot of times when we get mad at people, we tend to slump back, or we put our arms across our chest or what have you. And so just being aware of some of those communicative factors as well. So another thing you can do is go into the conflict, believing that you each want a constructive resolution, you know, stop going into conflict, looking for a fight. 
uh, if you're looking for a fight, you're most likely always going to find one because then you're just at a level, of, a different level of defensiveness typically. And so this is where, again, back to the, one of the myths at the beginning, it's always good to talk about conflict. Sometimes you need to wait a hot second, okay? If you are really, really triggered, depending on the situation, of course, but it, you know, it might not always be the time to go in and express to your relational partner that you have to talk, to talk about something right now, making sure you're giving yourself a space where you can feel the most productive as well. Asking questions, okay? Focusing on the other person, asking them if you've understood it correctly. Again, not in a snotty or derogatory way, but just even paraphrasing. Okay, so here's what I heard you said. And I think that this is what you mean is that, am I understanding correctly? And again, a tone here is everything. And, it, and also your intent, okay? What is your intent? If your intent is to really understand your relational partner, then you should wanna ask questions for clarification. You should wanna learn more about why they're hurt or why they're angry. And so again, I say all this like it's easy, but I know when you're in the middle of it and your emotions are heightened, it's really hard to employ. So the thing I have to say is practice. Okay, every time, every time you're in a conflict, just try to be better at it. Try to be more effective at it. Try to be more compassionate. Try to be heard more and, and keep trying to improve because so much of this is we're just in negative habits. Uh, listen, okay, listen, listen, listen. We get, especially when we're waiting for our turn to talk or we're trying to think about the ways that we're right, we, we get worse at listening. So listening shows other, your relational partner, that the conflict resolution is important to you. Okay, if I can listen to you and hear you instead of just speaking my piece, then I'm showing you that I value your opinion. I value our relationship enough to see your perspective. Practicing cultural sensitivity, okay, this is huge also. Obviously, mind your, be mindful of your tone. Be mindful of the practices that you're employing. And if you don't understand another culture's norms, if you don't understand another um, person's perspective, it is rarely effective to tell them that they're wrong or stupid or what have you, right? But so often we close down and we're unwilling to be open to seeing how another person is approaching things. So really just trying to be mindful of that so that you can withhold assumptions before you actually, you know, learn more about the process and what's going on. So obviously there's a lot of complexities in conflict. And the biggest things to remember is just, just constantly checking in with yourself too. If you feel yourself getting more escalatory, you know, can you take some deep breaths and bring that back? If you find yourself in a pattern that you want to withdraw, okay, what might be bringing that up? So routinely checking in with yourself and your relational partners is one of the biggest keys I can tell you to resolving conflict. Thanks so much for listening to today's throwback episode. I'm eager to hear your nuggets of wisdom or inspiration that you received from today's episode. Hope you have a great day.